0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it is a wonderful, beautiful spring Sunday evening. I don't think I've seen as pretty a day in quite some time. Started out on the cool side. And then uh, I think it was something that went on in here. The preaching kind of warmed things up, maybe. I don't know, but praise the Lord. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you for being with us tonight. And uh, as we're turning in our Bibles to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Let me thank you for your faithfulness in giving. We have offering envelopes available and many have come in. We wanna thank you for that and keep on giving and keep on praying and one of these days we're gonna get back together when those restrictions are lifted. Also, we have a new feature and in increasing numbers, people on social media are uh, taking a look at our digital bulletin. What a beautiful bulletin today uh, and each week that we present. And right there, you can click on or tap on and get a copy of the bulletin to read for yourself. All right, I'm asking you tonight to turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah in the Old Testament. So I, I know it'll take a few moments for some of you. Now, some of you have tabs on your Bible, and it's not so difficult. But you've got to remember where the little book of Nehemiah falls. All right. So, on the other side, the on the Genesis side of Psalms, you'll find Nehemiah. So, find it quickly. And we're in Nehemiah chapter number 6. Nehemiah chapter number 6. You know who Nehemiah was. We'll talk more about him, but uh, he was he was an important individual, a key individual in God's plan for rebuilding the ruined walls, the walls that had been broken down. Nehemiah was a key individual that God used to lead the people, mostly a volunteer crew, to get the job done, to get it accomplished. And he is a model for godly leadership. But Nehemiah was ridiculed, mocked. He was challenged, and he was even asked to suspend his work for God to take away time from the important work of God and uh, all for the purpose of sitting down with a bunch of unreasonable critics and, and uh, having a powwow with them. Wasted time, absolutely wasted time. So in Nehemiah chapter six and verse number three, here's what he said. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work. Say a great work. A great work. Say it again. A great work. What kind of work was Nehemiah doing? A great work. I am doing a great work so that I cannot, I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Now, I don't think I've overemphasized any of those words beyond what Nehemiah himself would have said. He would have said it just that way. What did he mean by, it's a great work? What did he mean by that? Uh, Was he mistaken somehow? Did he somehow overestimate the value of his work? One of my mentors told about the time when he was in Bible college, and it was the habit of the teacher of a particular class to have the preacher boys report on their work the previous weekend. So on Monday morning they would come in and he would have testimony time at the beginning of Bible college class. And one after another told about the work that they were doing in various places and and this mentor of mine, at the time he told this story he was already established, but in those days he was just a young preacher and so he got up and he said, "Uh, I pastor a little church out in the country. And The teacher said, no, sit down. And he didn't understand why he was told to sit down. Came back around the circle and said, now, sir, stand up and tell about what happened, what went on this weekend. He said, well, I pastor a little church. He said, no, sir, you do not. Sit down. So he was perplexed. And by the time he came around, you know, the third time, the teacher explained that there are no... Small churches. There are no small jobs for God. There are no insignificant jobs for God. He said, now, sir, would you stand and give us your report? He said, yes, I, I pastor a great big church of 15 out here in the country. And it's the greatest church in the world. Amen and amen. I want to tell you tonight... That what you've been called to do for the Lord is not small. It's not insignificant. Why the one who created the universe, the one who spoke it all into existence and by whose power all things hold together and consist is the same one whom we love, adore, and serve and in whose name we present the gospel and do the job that God has called us to do for Him. And there is nothing small about that. There is nothing insignificant about that. You never ever know what's going to come from the job that you do for the Lord. As I was preparing my thoughts for this message tonight, in hopes of being an encouragement to people, many of whom are Locked down because of the coronavirus restrictions. Many who can't go about their tasks. And they're reflecting on where they are and, and what they're limited uh, to, to the little bit that they think that they can do. And they're thinking it's small, it's insignificant, it's not important. I want to tell you tonight, there are no small jobs for God. There are no insignificant tasks to be done for the King of Kings And Lord of Lords, King Jesus has called us to serve Him. And so it's as important as the one whom we are serving. If the king of a country had hired workers whose job it was to sweep, to clean, to repair, these would not be small tasks because of the one for whom they work. And what God has called you and called me to do is not a small task. It's not an insignificant or unimportant thing. Do you know that if God has called you to be a greeter and you shake that hand, you shake that hand because you represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and you show kindness and you show magnanimous uh, generosity and joy overflowing, Because the hand that you're shaking may be burning in hell if they don't come to Christ. And you need to show them that you serve King Jesus. If you take care of little ones, you need to recognize what a great task that is. If you play an instrument, you sing. If you serve God in the technical end of the ministry, if you sing in the choir, if you teach a Sunday school class, if you run a bus route, if you work with the youth or you work with the elderly or you work in some area of the church or Sunday school or some ministry attached, let me tell you right now, there are no small jobs. There are no insignificant tasks. And the reason there are no small jobs and no insignificant tasks is because of the one whom we serve. We're going to stroll down memory lane a little bit, a little just a, a, just a little bit later. But right now, we want to ask God to make this so real to us that we won't grasp it. It'll grasp us. Uh, we, we won't embrace this truth. It'll embrace us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, You'll fill me with the Holy Spirit. Speak through me tonight. Lord, I'm enjoying preaching, but I want people to get something out of it. And so, Lord, if You don't visit us now by Your power And for your glory, nothing's going to happen of eternal consequence. And so, Lord, I pray that even though I'm having a good time preaching this, I pray, Lord, that you'll make it real to everyone for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know the name Gypsy Smith? He was a tremendous English preacher who grew up in a gypsy camp in the rural parts of England and as a boy was introduced to the ministry of D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey, he became an evangelist, a preacher of the gospel after he received Christ and a great gospel singer. And he made numerous trips across the ocean from England to the United States. And he labored for many, many decades of, of dedicated service, numerous times coming and staying extended periods of time in protracted meetings that would sometimes run months in length. And he would preach in large American cities, and many people would come to God and would be saved. And all those years of service, and all those trips, and all those miles, and all those hours of preaching and singing the gospel, he was asked toward the end of his life, how is it that you've been able to serve God so consistently for such an extended period of time? And he said, it's because I've never lost the wonder of it all. I've never lost the wonder of it all. A gypsy boy got saved in rural England and never got over it. Never got over the thrill. Never got over the excitement. Never got over being saved by grace through faith. And as a result, he never lost the wonder of it all. To which Al Smith, who's now in heaven also, put those thoughts to music. Wonderful music, a great song. I've never lost the wonder of it all. So I have a question for you tonight. Have you ever been so amazed, so truly captivated by the wonder of the work of God in your behalf? What God did for you? than what God did in you and what God did amazingly through and out of us to touch the lives of others. And if so, have you ever lost the wonder of all of that? Have you ever lost sight of the fact that God reached so far down? Have you ever lost your sense of amazement that He would do that and that He would not only save us, but that He would use us When Nehemiah was tempted, enticed to come down and talk to the enemy, come away from the work, he stayed at his place of service and would not come down and told them, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. He had the proper estimation of what it was That God wanted him to do. And he would not stop. He would not cease. He would not give up. There are three books in the Old Testament. That deal with God's captive people. You got to understand. That they brought this on themselves. Because of disobedience. But it's good for us to review these books. There's Ezra. There's Nehemiah. And there's Esther. Ezra and Nehemiah deal with the people of God who went back to the land after their captivity. And the book of Nehemiah is about a man whose job was to lead others, others who had no prior experience in what they were doing, and to do it effectively to complete a wall that had been broken down. And you might wonder what on earth does fixing a broken down wall with a bunch of volunteers have to do with me. I want you to see tonight yourself in Nehemiah's place. I cannot come down. That needs to become our vocabulary. I cannot be discouraged, I cannot be dissuaded, I cannot be distracted. I cannot be taken from my task. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why? Because he had not lost the wonder. He hadn't lost the wonder of what God had called him to do. As soon as Nehemiah arrived in the land immediately, he was approached by adversaries. Who are the enemies today that will keep you from being all? that you ought to be for God and doing the task that you ought to do. Who are the ones who will criticize and critique the size of the work and how you do it, how you say it, how you go about it, when you do it, and so forth? Well, you may be surprised. We know the world, the flesh, and the devil come against us. And you may be thinking that it's a bunch of old atheists, evolutionists, a bunch of liberal folks that come against you, but actually those folks, that crowd don't spend as much time giving us reason to be distracted as those who are nearer to us. I'm talking about those that don't have the same calling or the same level of dedication or the same understanding of the things that God has spoken in the still of the night to your heart. The thing that He has said that you are to do for Him, for His glory. And because maybe only you and the Lord understand that perfectly, There will be those who are near and nearer than your enemies, perhaps, that will say, you know, there are other things to do. There are other places to go. There are other ways to do this. There are other words to use. And because they have an opinion, and this world is filled with folks having opinions, they will sometimes discourage you from doing what God has told you directly to do. There are always going to be those who hate you. There are going to be those that oppose what God is all about. But there will be those who will also discourage you from a nearer position. There are external enemies and there are internal enemies. And Nehemiah had both. He had both. He had people who dealt on the level of, what about me, selfishness. He had people who said, You know, I'm getting so low, so discouraged. And and he had to be a cheerleader and an encourager. There are those who said, this is too hard. This is too difficult. And so he had to deal with their perception of the size of the job. Rebuilding the wall. You understand that a wall is only as good as its weakest point. You understand that a wall You can have a great section of wall, but if you've got a big gaping hole in it, it's not going to do its job because the enemy and those who should not be there and those that trespass will find the hole in the wall. Before we ever saw what we have read as our text in Nehemiah chapter 6, back in chapter 2, Nehemiah is saying in verse number 9, then I came to the governor's beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. He had been given authority. Uh, He was a Jewish court official of the Persian king Artaxerxes, and he had been given authority just as if he had the king's power in his own hands. He was given the blessing to rebuild the wall in the city of Jerusalem. So he comes to the governors beyond the river, and he gives them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. There may have been some anti-Semitism. There is not much known about these characters, except that they were not on the same page with Nehemiah. And as soon as Nehemiah realized that, he knew he was going to have to contend with them. He's going to have to deal with them. It is, and mark it down, it is never easy to do a work for God because there will always be those who mock, ridicule, critique, and make your work for God more difficult than it otherwise would be. I'm reading now down in verse 17 where he speaks about be no more a reproach, a reproach. The word reproach means shame. And it was a shame that the walls had gotten to that state. They were broken down. But he was able to change the topography so that shame turned to victory. You can be a positive encourager. You can do a great work for God. Now, I am sure, I am certain, that on a much larger scale, The rest of the world was probably not taking much interest in what was going on in this little place. The eyes of this world, I'm sure, were on larger, more impressive architectural projects that might have been going on at the same time. So here you have some volunteers, and they're trying to prop up, and they're trying to rebuild with volunteer labor the best that they possibly can, the broken down walls. And they're not doing it so that they can gain applause. So they're not sending out news releases. They're not doing it to try to please mankind, but they're doing it to please the Lord. They they want to put a smile on the face of Almighty God. Why? Because they have not lost the wonder of it all. They have not lost the wonder of it all. Maybe you have. Maybe you have started to become discouraged because you're alone in your task or no one seems to understand your task. But let me tell you, if God has spoken to you in the stillness of your heart, in a small voice, through the Word of God, and He has definitely told you to obey what the Word of God says, and you're doing it the very best you can. It may be that no one else in the whole world will completely understand or encourage you, but you can encourage yourself like David did when they picked up stones and they were about to stone him. You get off in a corner somewhere and encourage yourself in the Lord and say, good job, good job, good job. I'm very blessed to have people around me who love me and encourage me, but I know there are folks who are doing the work of God. and They have nobody to encourage. them. They have not one single encouraging word. There are nothing but discouraging words coming their direction. In verse number 19 of chapter 2, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye will do? Will ye rebel against the king? Of course, this is not at all what Nehemiah and his crew were doing. They began to snicker and mock and sow doubt and insinuate that their impending work would be reviewed uh, and perhaps uh, it would be considered as rebellion against the king. Satan always wants to to misrepresent your work for God. Verse 20, Nehemiah says, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, He will prosper us. There needs to be a bold response to the criticism of those who have nothing going for them except they want to tear down what you're doing for God. There are people who frequently will come by when somebody's trying to preach on the street and they'll critique them, but they won't stand up for what they believe. There are people who will frequently say, you can't pass those gospel tracks out in, in this particular area. That's not permitted, but they don't have the authority to do so. They may imagine that somehow you're disturbing the peace when you're simply glorifying God. The truth of the matter is, There are many things today that are viewed incorrectly and are expressed incorrectly by the enemies of the gospel. People that are against what we're trying to do for God. We've been told by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our Master, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those are our marching orders. We have been given them directly. By the Lord, we have followed them the best that we can. God helping us with the strength, the wherewithal that He gives us. And while we are human and flawed and limited and we don't always do what would be a perfect job, we do the very best that we can. And we say when we're doing our best for Him, the God of heaven, He will prosper us. Therefore, we His servants will arise and build. Don't look for a positive response from those that don't agree with what we stand for. Those who think that it's a waste of time to be proactive and out and out for God and to be aggressive with a witness. Those who somehow have made it up in their hearts and minds that it is uh, it is not correct, it is not scriptural for us to tell people that there is a a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. If they'll receive Christ, they can be saved and escape hell and be in heaven forever. But it's not improper for us to tell people how proper or improper is it for us walking down the street and you see a burning building and you see the screaming inhabitants. You see them crying out for help. You know what you would do. You know exactly what I would do. I know what what any thinking person would do. You'd try to rescue those people, get them out of that flaming inferno. Well, this world is on fire and people are on their way to hell without Jesus Christ. And we're going to do everything we can to save all that we can. In the fourth chapter, if we'll skip over there, verses one, two, and three, and it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews and spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria. Look at this. He's spreading it around and said, what do these feeble Jews? He starts calling names. Tobiah, down in verse 3 says, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall, mocking their work, ridiculing and demeaning what they were trying to do. Here they are, trying to mock what they don't agree with, trying to discredit what they don't understand, trying to trying to put down what they would not themselves ever do. So in verses 4 and 5, we have Nehemiah doing what we should always do. Have you been beaten down? Have you been demeaned? Have you been mistreated? Have you been misrepresented? Then do what Nehemiah did. He prayed. He prayed, hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head. And give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity. And let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Now I understand this is an imprecatory prayer. And I understand that we are living today in the day and age of grace. But let me just say this. I'm encouraged, even if it's only in that context Understanding it that way, I'm encouraged by the spunk and the zeal of somebody like a Nehemiah who's not going to just crawl up in the corner and die. Instead, he says, we're going to pray to God. God enables us. We're going to move forward. We're going to get the job done. You know why? Because he never lost the wonder of it all. I have never lost the wonder of it all. But if I ever did, I would go to God and I'd say, Lord, I've lost something. I've lost a half a step. Or or Lord, I've I've lost a little bit of fire in my soul. I want some more fire in my soul. The Bible calls it exactly what it is. In the book of Hebrews, our salvation is called so great salvation. It's not pretty good salvation. It's it's not very good salvation. It is so great. Great salvation. The work that we're doing is a great work. And our salvation is a great salvation. We should decide tonight, right now, to start calling it what it is. It isn't something we keep to ourselves. It's something we share with the lost and dying world. Keep it in your mind. Settle it right now that it's a great salvation. Just take some time tonight. Look in the mirror and say, you're so blessed. God has given you so great salvation. It's worth talking about. It's worth sharing with people. It's worth making your number one priority this week. Telling somebody that the Holy Spirit of God is burdening your heart right now. He's speaking to your heart. He's saying, that person needs to hear that your salvation is so great salvation. There's somebody right now who has mocked and ridiculed your testimony. Maybe at work they come in after they've had a, a, a big drunken spree on the weekend. They partied, and they come in on, on Monday morning and they talk about what a great time they had. And I gotta tell you, that's not a great time. I don't have the personal experience, but I've met a lot of broken-hearted, broken down a busted up kind of people and the ruined relationships because of those kinds of activities on the weekend. And when they come in and they try to put down, what'd you do, go to church? What'd you do, read your Bible? You tell them about so great salvation. And you tell them about such satisfaction, the Savior's satisfaction. I'm satisfied with Jesus Christ. I'm satisfied with who He is in my life. And He makes me happy. He makes me glad. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. And I've got a life, a new life to live because of what He has done for me. I don't need or crave anyone or anything else. I've got all the satisfaction because it's great. It's centered in my Savior. We need to delight ourselves in the Word of God as we have said in Psalm number 1. We need to remember that we ought to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind as Jesus quoted Deuteronomy in the Gospels. That's it. We ought to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our might, with all of our strength. I am satisfied with Jesus Christ. There's nothing more satisfying if the things of this world are temptations to you and are drawing you so that you say, I, I, I want to test this. I want to taste this. I want to, I want to sample this. I'm going to tell you right now, you will come up dry. You will come up dissatisfied. You will come up disappointed. There is no disappointment in Jesus Christ. There is no coming up dry with Jesus Christ. He satisfies. He gives us that, that, that living water. He gives us all that we need. We are satisfied and thrilled to be saved. We are satisfied with Jesus Christ. So great salvation, so great satisfaction, so great service as we began earlier to tell. No little tasks, no little jobs, my dear friend. When you start to think about how tired you are and you want to faint and you want to fall by the wayside, Paul nailed it down when he said that we need to be Careful that we don't become faint and weary in our mind. That's where it takes place. That's where discontentment starts to bore like a little worm and starts to decay and starts to to eat at us from the inside. The weariness of the journey, the difficulty of the task, The lack of applause and appreciation coming from others. And shame on them. Shame on you. Shame on me for not telling somebody what a good job they're doing for God. We ought to do that. But we need to remember that the task is not small because of who we serve. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. We serve Jesus Christ Himself. A long time ago, we had opportunities And I learned the joy of being a servant of the King of Kings. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, the Scripture declares. It's not the the big fancy office with the the placard on the door, the big salary with all of the extras in the portfolio, all the benefits. That's not what's so important. What's important is the smile of God. What's important is is well done, good and faithful servant. In 1970, we were called to a little country church, a rural church. We were there for a little over a year. God did some wonderful things and then we were called to Alabama. And on weekends, we served in moonshine country and had a wonderful time seeing souls get saved and people get blessed. And during that period of time, We worked in a Christian school, and I had had the opportunity to work out a situation where schools could get musical instruments directly drop-shipped from the musical corporations of that day, and they could purchase them at greatly discounted prices for their bands and their orchestras. And after we had done that for a while, I received a visit, my wife and I went out for a meal with an executive from the Chicago Music Corporation who just flat out offered me a territory and a large salary plus many benefits if I would come to work and it didn't take me long right there at the table I said it won't take me long to tell you I've been called to preach and my life's business is not about how much money I can make you've offered me a tremendous salary and a great opportunity We had several places where we could have gone, but we went where God led us. We went to the place where we were paid the least, and we worked there. And while we were working there in Wisconsin, serving the Lord, assisting my father in his church, and my wife and I taught in the school, and we helped in various ministries. We restarted the bus ministry and saw God do some wonderful and amazing things. It was during that period of time before there ever was a moral majority that our town encountered a real moral challenge. And so I, in a short period of time, organized a group of believers to stand up and speak out for decency. We were called the La Crosse Committee for Decency, and uh, we were able to stand up and speak against some sinful practices and businesses that were shut down, and I praise God for that. Because of that, the year was 1974. I received invitations to run for state office, statewide office. I would have been 25 years of age at that time. And it didn't take me long to decide who I'm supposed to be working for, even though it would have meant a political career, perhaps. I didn't have to make a difficult choice. Because way back yonder, at a camp in the early 1960s, Seated on a tree limb over that lake with the camp, uh, the, the cabin counselor seated, seated between me and the shoreline. And he said, Do you know for sure you're saved? And I said, Yes, I've received Christ as my Savior. And all week long, I had heard the preaching of the gospel from pastors and missionaries. And he said, What are you going to do with your life? And I said, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to preach the gospel. And I was shocked as anybody when that came out of my mouth. God called me. God spoke to me. Now the circumstances, the time, the date, the location may be different for you, but God spoke to you. He spoke to you and and by cords of love and by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, He drew you to Himself and you got saved. And then after you got saved, He said, I want you to serve me. I'm talking about the King of Kings. I'm talking about King Jesus. I'm talking about the one who created everything and holds everything together. And He spoke to you in a still small voice. Maybe it was after preaching or after devotions. Or maybe it was uh, some other time, but He spoke to your heart about serving Him. And since that time, you've been working in your area of service. I want you to know there are no small tasks. There's nothing small about serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Has He called you? Has He spoken to you? Has He drawn you? Then there is no small job for God. There is no small ministry for God. And our attitude should be that of the Apostle Paul who spoke about finishing his course with joy. Looking forward to hearing well done. Looking forward to receiving that crown. Finishing His course with joy. I read in that same chapter where our text is that the work was finished. The work was completed. And then it says this. In verse 15 of Nehemiah 6, So the wall was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month Elol. here it is, in 50 and two days. A bunch of volunteers working with a man who never lost the wonder of it all were able to complete that task. Not the biggest job that the world might see or estimate, but a great task, a great work as Nehemiah described it. They finished it in 52 days, think of it. That was in spite of the opposition. Tonight I want to tell you, little is much when God is in it. Mrs. Suffield wrote a wonderful song, it's been sung many times. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? Listen to me preacher. Listen to me, worker, servant of the Lord. It is great if God is in it. And He'll not forget His own. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go. If you'll go. If you'll go. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If the Spirit of God spoke to you tonight, would you put your hand up with me? He spoke to my heart. How about you? Yes. There are no small tasks. There are no small ministries because we serve a great King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And let's determine that we are going to go all the way and finish what He has asked us to do for Him what He has spoken in the stillness of your heart, what He has called you to do, you're going to do that and you're going to finish. You're going to finish with joy. You're going to finish the right way, the right time with the right people, going the right direction, having the right spirit. Little is much if God is in it. Amen. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God? Pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up?